Testing one, two, three, testing one, two, three. This is Radio Free Mormon on the air, broadcasting behind enemy lines and incredibly happy. I must say there is a God in heaven. He heard my prayer. He answered it. And that prayer was, if President Nelson can't make it to conference, please, please let the Saturday evening session end early. And it did. It is over. It's only uh, 617 on the Pacific Coast in Utah. It's 717. It's supposed to go till 8 o'clock. It's a two-hour meeting, but it's over. So I get to talk to you about it. It shouldn't take as long as my recaps of the earlier sessions today. I hope you've been watching those. I hope you enjoy those. I will hope that you will click like on this show. Please do. And also subscribe. Please, please subscribe to the show. I'd appreciate it so much. I mean, I am watching all the general conference for you. I expect you're out having a good time. But for someone who's watching every single session of general conference, the, the clouds opened when at, what time was it? Hang on a second. Uh, Elder Oaks was conducting. And hang on a second here. I'm scrolling down. I apologize. Uh, these are through my notes just of this session. Um, it was announced at 5.50 p.m., in other words, 50 minutes into the meeting, Elder Oaks announced the concluding speaker, Ulysses Suarez, and my heart saying, it's just saying. All right, so let's see what we have here. You know something? Um, even in spite of its brevity, which made it a favorite conference session of mine, the contents were actually much better than most conference sessions. Now, that's not really saying a lot, but I actually enjoyed these, uh, some of these talks and some of the things that were said. So let's get to what happened. They had a another choir, different choir of young single adults in the choir. And they sang at first some song I don't know. And I apologize for not writing it down. It's not, I don't think it's a hymn. It sounds much uh, more classical. Then a hymn, then someone prayed. Um, and then they had the same choir, which is made up entirely of young single adults from Utah County sing Lead Thou Me On from the hymn book. And I'm sure we all know that song. <laughs> yeah, they did a nice job with that. It's a beautiful song. Uh, but, you know, has anybody ever stopped like I just did tonight while they're singing that song? And I stopped and I thought, how crazy is it that the Mormon church actually has a song in their book that literally says, lead me on? Crazy, huh? All right. So the first speaker is Gary Sabin or Sabine or something. S-A-B-I-N, I think is how he spells it, of the 70. Now, let me see here. Oh, yes, I remember this individual. Okay. He is telling a story. First off, he meets a man on the train. The guy has a business card, says he's a professor of happiness. R70 says, uh, uh, what do you mean by happiness? How do you achieve that? He says, by establishing meaningful relationships and goals. And of course, that's not good enough for the 70 because it doesn't include Mormonism. And so his response to him, the professor of happiness, what guy has a business card that says the professor of happiness? I don't know. But his response was, um, maybe it was Mick Jagger. His response was, but if you can show how those relationships extend beyond the grave, hmm, wouldn't that be better? You have to admit that, Professor of Happiness. And apparently the Professor of Happiness 
seeded the point. So uh, Gary Sabin won, Professor of Happiness Zero. Anyway, and he mentions Christ's second coming, okay? About we need to be happy in order to prepare for Christ's second coming. He said it in such a way, it didn't sound like a passing comment. I thought that was going to be the subject of his talk. And I thought, oh, a second coming talk. Okay, well, I haven't heard one of those in at least six months. So maybe this will be marginally interesting. It was only when we got at least halfway through, if not further, that I realized he's not talking about the second coming. What he's talking about is how to be happy. Right? The, the professor of happiness doesn't know how to be happy, even though he apparently has an advanced degree in the subject. Because <laughs> he's a professor. It's too late. I'm sorry. But um, but the Mormons, the Mormons know how to be happy. And here's Gary Sabin in the 70s to tell us exactly how. Um, so, uh, following the church prepares us for life, come what may. Yep. It's all about following the church leaders. You must understand that every road leads to Rome. And in Mormonism, every talk leads to following the church leaders in one way or another. And this talk is no exception. Oh, he talks about his son at scout camp. Um, you know, this is a nice story. Uh, his son is at scout camp. His name's Justin. Apparently, he has cystic fibrosis, wants to earn the archery merit badge with his friends. His dad follows him out there to the archery range. And the kid, no, he didn't follow him out because this, the joke depends upon that. But he was hoping for the best. He was hoping he could even pull the bow back because he's weak and frail, I think is the word he used. And uh, his son came back. He had the merit badge. And uh, he says, Dad, I hit, the, I hit the bullseye. And his dad said, really? He says, yeah, it was on the, the target next to mine, but I hit the bullseye. So that's kind of a funny line. But um, then he, of course, the coach didn't dock him for that, right? The coach could have said, well, that's not the right target, kid. You know, sorry, no merit badge for you. Try again. But he didn't. He told him, good job. He took into account Justin's weaknesses and his disabilities. That's important for his talk. That's why I stress it here. Then, of course, he likens, he makes the obvious analogy to us and God. Uh, God is like the coach, and we are all the kids with cystic fibrosis in this analogy. If we do our very best in spite of our limitations, God will accept of our offering. So we have to do our best no matter what. Um, obviously, we can't do more than what we are limited by. So really, it just ends up being everybody's best, doesn't it? Then he tells a story. It's another airplane flight. There's a lot of airplane flights in this uh, general conference so far. Oh, what is it? He's sitting behind a bald guy with a tattoo of numbers 439 on the back of his head. And later on, he asks him, you know, what does that number mean? And he says, that's me. That's who I am. And the speaker here says, I was surprised that he got, oh, he gives the wrong number. He says, I was surprised he got it wrong since it was so important to him. Not condescending at all. But then he said, I thought how sad it is that this man identifies himself only with a gang territory, which is what those numbers apparently mean. I don't know, but that's what he's telling me. And then he says, if only he knew who he really is and to whom he really belongs, which is obvious code for if only he became a Mormon, then, then he would then he would be able to identify himself correctly. Um, it was at this point when he quotes a line from a song from the Prince of Egypt. It's a soundtrack with which I'm not familiar. I saw the movie. I didn't think it was that great. But apparently there's a line in the song saying, look at yourself through heaven's eyes. 
Okay. It's a line from a song from a forgettable musical. This isn't, though. This is at the point where I re realize, I said, I'm like, wait, this isn't the second coming talk. This is a how to be happy talk. I mean, I feel cheated. We've already had one of these. Just last session, we already had a how to be happy talk. And that's by doing everything you're supposed to do as a good Mormon. That's how you be happy. We're going to get the same thing. How many times do we have to hear that we have to be faithful Mormons to be happy? I mean, why do you keep repeating it? Why? I wonder. He's got another story. Oh, this story, mildly humorous. His son kicked a cat on the porch. I didn't think that was nice. No comment is made about that. That The son doesn't get in trouble for trying to kick a cat on the porch. I think it was a cat. The joke is, though, after that abhorrent conduct on the part of his son, uh, the joke is that uh, it wasn't a, a cat. It was a skunk. So it was a pole cat. And they all got sprayed. They all stunk. They all got desensitized to it hanging around in the house. They went to the theater. And then everybody in the theater around them leaves to go get popcorn because they're not desensitized to it. We're going to have a talk about getting desensitized to sin. He wonders, theoretically and whimsically, what if our sins had an odor? Hmm, would we maybe not sin as much because other people would smell it? I guess that depends on if it's a bad odor. If it's a good odor, well, we put those on ourselves voluntarily, don't we? But I think it must mean a bad odor. Well, you know, if sin did have an odor, at least it might be some evidence that it really exists that there is such a thing as, and that it's not just sort of the concept that people have made up over time to exercise control over people who believe them. Just saying. And I now realize, you see, this is the problem. When you get general conference brain, by the third session of the day, the ability to attend to what is being said is diminished. And one starts paying more attention to the headache that's building in their head while these talks go on and on and on and really don't say much of substance. So here's where he says, these are happiness hallmarks. He's been going through hallmarks of happiness. This is how you be happy, how you be happy, how you be happy. And uh, maintain an eternal perspective was number four. Great. Oh, and now his daughter is about to have a double lung transplant. He's got a boy named Justin with cystic fibrosis. And he's telling a story about his daughter, apparently a teenager at the time, um, maybe younger than that who had to have a double lung transplant. I mean, this is terrible. It actually ends up being kind of a nice story. But, you know, I have to ask, like with this kid, Justin, what is assumed but never addressed is where is the priesthood? What Where is the power that this church claims to have? Where is that ability to heal people, to show forth the gifts of the Spirit, which our scriptures claim that we have, but which really aren't manifest much anymore. And here's a daughter getting a, a double lung transplant. Well, thank God for modern medicine. Priesthood isn't around, but the medicine is at least. So, and her name is Jennifer. He gives her a name. He says, um, Jennifer preached to him because she's going in for this operation. She's going to be put under, you know, she could die. And the next morning is when she's going to come out. It's going to take a number of hours. So obviously he's very concerned. And then here I started feeling for him. You know, I did with Justin. Yeah, I'm doing so with um, Jennifer. He's drawn me in. And I think that's a, a good sign. Um, he says, Jennifer preached to him and said that tomorrow she will either wake up with new lungs 
or she will wake up in a better place. And either way, it will be great. I thought that was a nice line. So the next morning, after the operation and after everything they have to do, uh, they have to take her off the ventilator and see if the lungs work. And so that would be tension-filled, I, I expect. She did take her first breath. And then she started crying. And they they moved toward her because they were concerned. And she says, no, no, no. I'm not crying because I'm in pain. It just feels so good to breathe. Yeah, thank God for modern medicine. I like that story. Um, and I... I Put, I wrote here, this story has impact in spite of the lack of priesthood blessings. And then I actually looked at him on the screen because I'm so busy over here typing things. I'm not always paying attention because it's just a talking head. And I looked at him and this, this fellow, um, let me see here, Gary Sabin, he's been given these stories, all these stories about being happy, the five hallmarks of happiness. Um, what a hangdog expression this fellow has. Really? He looks kind of like um, Droopy. Droopy dog? Is it, it was just Droopy. Yeah, that cartoon character. And then I realized I have never heard a talk about how to be happy given by a guy with no smile lines. It doesn't look like he's smiled anytime recently. Uh, there is just a, a, a downward turn to his face. He looks very, very unhappy, very sad. But at least he's given a talk about how to be happy. And I'm glad that his... Um, his children are okay and his daughter. Okay. Top, uh, top talk of the night, maybe the top talk of any conference in recent memory. You might have to go all the way back to, um, Elder Wells, Charlene Wells, dad. He was a good speaker back in the eighties. He didn't talk enough in general conference as far as I'm concerned, but this is Elder Joni Koch of the 70. That's J O N I. It is a guy. And you know, he's a bit a little bit quirky, which I can appreciate, um, but he speaks as if he's talking to a person. He's not just back here talking. And I can understand why it would be extremely nerve-wracking. I think he has a little bit of cotton mouth. You're in this huge auditorium with all these people, and you know the cameras are on. But he really did a good story. And one of the things he did so well, I thought, was his self-deprecating humor. And um, I'll give you a couple examples of that. Now, ultimately, his whole talk is going to be about we need to be humble. And humble means following the prophets. Okay. I object to the fundamental basis of the talk. But everything else about the talk I like. Other than that, Mrs. Lincoln, how did you like the show? Yeah. Well, he tells a story about how he used to be a manager at a corporation. And I thought, we're going to hear one of these talks where he's going to talk about how great he is. Not actually. He was a manager in a corporation. He took his wife and his two daughters to work with him one day because he told them that he wanted them to see where he worked. But actually, he says, what I really wanted them to see was to take them to a place where everybody has to do what I say. <laughs> and he's saying that to be funny. And it was very, very funny. And then, so <laughs> they have the day there. <clears throat> And um, I'm not exactly sure how this fits into the story because he's still got his family with him, but he's driving back into the plant, into the company plant. There's a security gate and a security guard. 
Yeah, I might have to listen to that a little more closely because I'm not sure how that follows. Maybe he linked it and I didn't catch it. But it's like the same day, same people. Maybe it's a different day, but I think it's the same day. His wife's in the back. His wife's over here in passenger seat, two kids in the back. He comes up to the, um, drives up to the uh, the guard station and going into the plant because obviously you, you have to go by the guard station to get in. And the guard says, well, where's your ID? And he goes, oh, I forgot my ID. I forgot my ID. And the guard says, well, if you don't have a company ID, you're not getting through the gate. And then Elder Koch says that he asked the, excuse me, he asked the, the typical thing that um, an arrogant person asks. And he says to the guard, do you know who I am? <laughs> but still, <clears throat> excuse me, still the guard would not allow him through. His family's still with him. They're not approving. He can see them looking at him in the rearview mirror. So he realized he had to apologize to the guard. And so he did. He apologized to the guard. And he says, I'm sorry for treating you so bad. And the guard said, well, you're forgiven. But without a company ID, you're not coming in today. <laughs> Good story all around. And then he says, when we refuse to act in humility, we end up being humiliated. Yeah, boy, I've been there more than I ought to be. But yes, that's absolutely a truism. So it's a talk about humility. And he says, we all have to be humble. But then he says, what is humility? And he goes right to a church resource and he comes right up with a church answer, following the words of our prophets. Humility is following the words of the prophets. You see, in this church, every positive virtue is defined as following the prophets. Faith, humility is following the prophets. Faith is following the prophets. Charity is following the prophets. Every positive virtue has been redefined in the Mormon church as following the prophets. And then he says, this is the perfect occasion. In other words, general conference. This is the perfect occasion to give up our humility and have a stronger conviction that the Lord does speak through these chosen leaders. That's the humility that the Mormons teach is obedience, strict obedience to everything that your church leaders tell you to do. That's the definition of every positive virtue in Mormonism. He talks about motivational speakers on the one hand who say it's all about you, but he distinguishes Mormons by saying that we know that we can't achieve our full potential without Jesus Christ and his atonement. And I thought about that and it's like, Okay, a motivational speaker, if it's all about you, then you can only go so far. But with the power of Jesus, you can go beyond that. You can be even more. You can be even better. And then I thought, okay, well, so let's do a, an experiment, just a thought experiment. Let's put a faithful Mormon, right? One of those who's gone to their abilities and beyond with, but the power of Jesus. Let's put a faithful Mormon on one side of the equation. And let's put Tony Robbins on the other side of the equation, just to compare them. Now, my question is, who wins? In this comparison, that's what I want to know. Who wins? Okay. So sometimes motivational speakers can do even better than the best Mormon with the most power from the atonement of Jesus Christ to help along. And now he's going to tell us another taxi story. It's incredible. All these GAs are 
in taxis. They're having conversations with the cabbies, and they're usually about the gospel. And there's usually some sort of spiritual experience here. Might as well play the music uh, from Angela right now, from the theme from Taxi. So the cabbie says to him, oh, right, this is, okay, we went through the bad patch. We started off with that good story that was very funny. And then we went through the bad patch about humility and how it was defined. Now we're getting into the stories. He's back on track. The cabbie, he picks up a cabbie, or the cabbie picks him up. And the cabbie's looking at him in the rearview mirror. And he says to our hero, the, the, the 70, you don't look well today. And then the 70 says, why not? And he says, you have a negative halo around you. <laughs> oh, and he's on his way to the airport because he's a, he's a 70 at the time of the story. And he has to take a short flight to another country where there's a very difficult problem that has to be solved. So he explained that, um, <laughs> he explained that he had a difficult situation he had to deal with. And the cabbie asks, if he has done everything you can do to solve it. And the 70 said, well, yeah, I have. And the cabbie says to the 70, he says, then leave these things in God's hands and you'll be fine. How would you feel if you were a general authority in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints being schooled by a cabbie taking you to an airport? Well, what he says is, do you know what I, I did? Well, I didn't say, do you know who you're talking to? <laughs> Huge laughter, genuine laughter. Oh my gosh. When was the last time I heard general, genuine laughter in general conference? Or general laughter in genuine conference. But that was a great line. He said, you know what I did? I didn't say, do you know who you're talking to? Instead, he says, I humbled myself. Yeah, that's a good story. And uh, I make notes here. This is the best talk I've heard in conference in a long time, even though I disagree vehemently with the underlying premise. Good job, Elder Koch. Bravo. Um, choir sings, I believe in Christ. And holy crap, this is all in capitals, except they didn't say crap. Holy crap, they, at the end, they really rocked the place on that finale. It was incredible. And that conductor... Oh my gosh, she was so happy. She was so thrilled with how well they did. That was a great moment in choir history. Okay, go and replay it if you doubt me. Now we get um, Tamara Rumina, I think was her name. She's the second counselor, Young Women's Presidency. And uh, she starts talking about something that sounds kind of interesting because I didn't know about it. She talks about astronauts going up in space and looking down and seeing the Earth for the first time, and they can get these overwhelming feelings, which are called the overview effect, which she says is seeing something from a completely different point of view. Of course, it's interesting, not a bad intro, but it's going to end up sort of just being the same old, you know, look at things from an eternal perspective. That's what it's going to be about. And she says, everything you're worrying about is going to be okay. Now, that wasn't bad. She says, look, if you're looking at the world and looking at you from the eternal perspective, you're way up there with the overview effect. You're going to see everything's going to turn out. Okay. Well, of course, unless it doesn't, because actually not everything turns out. Okay. In this life, I hate to break it to you, but you know, everything's going to be okay one way or another. And, um, she says, uh, what it is, uh, to have this overview effect is 
to realize that about your life and about your future so that right now in the middle of what you're dealing with, whatever it is, you can still have that overview effect, that eternal perspective. And even though you're in the middle of bad stuff, you can realize that eventually things will be all right. That's kind of her her message there. She says her, uh, wait a second. Oh, yes, yes, yes. This lady was very, very interesting. Very good speaker, very practiced, obviously. Um, I think she's got some kind of performance background. Um, she says, if you have faith, you can know now in the middle of those bad things happening that everything is going to be okay. Not a bad message. I think I already said that. I apologize. I'll continue. She says her dad became her cheerleader. She made some bad choices when she was a kid. She's not going to talk about him. It's nobody's business. But she says that in order to talk about how her dad focused on her positive virtues instead of harping on what she was doing bad. And that helped her graduate and go on to college or BYU. Um, but then says, um, oh, yeah, she says her dad's her cheerleader and always reminding her who she is. But then she says, as if she's describing it, this was a funny thing. It came out of left field. She says, someone who reminds you lovingly that you're not running fast enough, they're telling you that you can. I'm not kidding. That's what she said. I may have missed a word here and there, but that was the thrust of it. Someone who reminds you lovingly that you're not running fast enough, they're telling you that you can. Which sounds kind of like the opposite of the message that she gives throughout the rest of this talk, you know. Um, but anyway, it's it's a I think it's a, a saying that she liked and she threw it in here, even though it didn't necessarily fit. But I did think that. Uh, someone who reminds you this whole saying is like Mormonism in a nutshell. If you could take one sentence and say that's Mormonism in a nutshell, I think this qualifies at least as a runner up. Someone who reminds you that you're not running fast enough, they're telling you that you can. <laughs> oh, yeah, the hamster wheel of Mormonism. So her talk is about telling people, family, only good things and only what they want to hear. Yes, she actually said that. Only tell people what they want to hear. Okay. Not sure that's going to always work out so well. I, I make notes here. She's a good speaker. She could be a professional motivational speaker. She has uh, little substance, but said in an enthusiastic tone, likely the cheerleader captain in high school. She ha says she has the experience of having, here's another interesting thing that she said. She says she has had the experience, of, as others have, of having one eye of faith and the other eye weeping. I thought that was striking, and I thought that's another good encapsulation of Mormonism. One eye of faith and the other eye weeping. She says, um, then she says something else. We have neither the judgment to condemn nor the power to save, but all we can do is exercise love. You should watch this, uh, this sister. Uh, she's in a really bright red dress matching. Um, matching polish on her fingernails, uh, larger than normal for LDS women leaders speaking in general conference, earrings. I think they were gold hoops with a, uh, a pearl dangle. Uh, I'm not positive on that. But the whole thing is that she's putting in these subversive messages. The, I mean, are they asleep at the switch in the correlation committee? When she says, we don't have the judgment to condemn, nor the power to save, but all we can do is exercise love. 
she said a little bit better than that. I was I was typing quickly to try and keep up with her, but that was the the message. So, and then I thought, wow, this sister is really being subversive. I thought maybe it was unintentional before when these other statements, right, which are encapsulations of the Mormon church. I start, does she really mean that the way it could be taken? Then she does a second one and I go, remember the first one was someone who reminds you lovingly that you're not running fast enough. They're telling you that you can. I thought that was funny. Then the second one, um, has the experience of being one eye of faith and the other eye weeping. And I thought, wow, that's kind of powerful. And then she says, we have neither the judgment to condemn nor the power to save, but all we can do is exercise love. And it was at this point that I decided, yes, she is being intentionally subversive. She's bigging, she's throwing a big uh, middle finger to the patriarchy on this one and their stance on things. I'm liking the sister more and more, even though she's filling her allotted 10 minutes of time with two minutes of talk. It does get very circular, and she keeps saying the same things um, before the end. Okay, and here it is, 5.50 p.m., and the concluding speaker is announced as Ulysses Suarez. And you could hear the silent cheer go up from the crowd. Um, and I, I wrote, you mean we're getting out of here early? Tender mercies, tender mercies. There is a good side to President Nelson falling. Um, and as if on cue... Ulysses Suarez quotes President Nelson off the top about telling members to abandon prejudice. Okay, so this is going to be uh, an anti-prejudice story and how prejudice is so bad and how the Mormon leaders are paragons of virtue who are going to sit in their ivory towers and lecture down to us peons about how we shouldn't be prejudiced because God doesn't like it when people are prejudiced. Okay. Now, in Mormonism, prejudice used to be in but now it's out. Now having no prejudice is essential to establishing the church and expanding it throughout the world. This is the message here at this part of the talk by Ulysses Suarez. We can't have prejudice if we want to establish a church and expand it throughout the world. One wonders what the church was doing before 1978, if not establishing the church and expanding it throughout the world. Hmm, okay. He quotes from the Book of Mormon, the passage about how you know, at this time in the Mormon history, it was probably after Jesus came and they established that super righteous community for 200 years, that um, there were no more there were no more Lamanites or, you know, Ishmaelites or any manner of ites. Um, and I thought, you know, that's a good point. And it fits well here. And then I also thought, I really think that Mormons and the Mormon leadership throughout history of the Mormon church, they should have paid more attention to their founding scripture. I think if they had, they might have avoided a lot of problems along the way. Yeah. I can see why a lot of early members after they lost faith in Joseph Smith still maintained a belief in the Book of Mormon, which was brought forth through him. And I don't mean to sound uh, cynical at all about the LDS Church. I'm just going to say in its leadership, although maybe I am, and maybe it's deserved based upon their history. Of racism, and I, I want to apologize and say it just galls me to hear church leaders lecturing their members not to be prejudiced, given the church's history of prejudice and racism, for which it has never apologized. For which it has never apologized. For which it has never apologized. In 45 years, church leaders have gone from sinners to saints on the race issue without ever having apologized. 
Okay, then he tells a story. Now, I want to say that it was at this point that all of a sudden, Ulysses Suarez started to be better than I've ever heard Ulysses Suarez speak. And I've heard him over and over in general conference. And he usually just sort of bumbles about with very little cohesion to what it is he's talking about. It's usually on the subject of, of love and getting along and let's be nice to each other, um, which is good insofar as it goes. But he really starts hitting his stride here tonight at this point. And he tells this story. And I, I really like this story. Let me tell it to you. There's three men outside sitting on the cliff and uh, looking out toward the ocean. And the question is asked of the three men. We find out that the third one's a rabbi. He'll have the wise answer. But they ask the three men how it is that they can tell it. It's nighttime, right? How can they tell when dawn is coming? Hmm. And the first one, or when dawn is. And the first man says, you can tell it's dawn when you look to the east and you can see a boat. You can make out a boat on the ocean, then it's dawn, if there's enough light to do that. Second man says, well, dawn comes or dawn is there when you can look to the east and tell the difference between an olive tree and a myrtle tree. So that was his definition of when it's dawn. Then they turn to the rabbi and they ask him. And his answer is this. Dawn comes when you can look to the east and tell the face of a person and say, you are my brother and you are my sister. I haven't heard a story like that in general conference in a long time. That's actually meaningful. Good job, Elder Suarez. I told you. Brief though it was, it was basically half the time of a normal session. It was better than everything that I've heard so far in general conference up to this point in the morning and afternoon session. He talks about the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman, and how Jesus disregards the prejudices existing between the Jews and the Samaritans. And Elder Suarez is doing really good tonight, better than I have ever seen him. He's more natural in his delivery. He's more interesting to watch. And once again, he sounds like he's talking to people. He's not just reading the words off the teleprompter. He's looking through the teleprompter and connecting with the people. At least that was my impression. I've never seen him this good as he was tonight. Um, and then he talks about, he talks about meeting the vice, was it the vice president of, was it Brazil? There was an open house for a, a temple, one of the many in Brazil. And the vice president of Brazil came and, uh, talked, uh, took the tour and elder Suarez was talking to him about the clothing and how the clothing is all white so everybody looks the same right so we're all equal in spite of who we are outside the temple or how much money we have or what kind of car we drive and um so he he likens this to the temple where we all wear the same masonic clothing in perfect equality yeah this is a solid entry by elder suarez on the issue of being good to each other regardless of race or culture or religion or any other difference in spite of the deficiencies that I felt uh, to point out, I really think this is the best talk Elder Suarez has ever given that I've heard. And it may be one of the best talks in general conference for this entire weekend. Although not better, no, 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 not better 
than subversive, subversive sister Rumina or elder Joni Koch of the 70, a word for best talk in the last decade, if not this entire century, if not this millennium, goes to elder Joni Koch of the 70. All right. Well, guess what? Let me come back here. There we are. Wow. It is so good to be here. It is so good to be done. But I've kept my promise. Yes, Radio Free Mormon makes a promise too. And I promise you that if you come back tomorrow morning, and you don't have to watch General Conference, but just tune in after General Conference, I'll be here to give you the recap of General Conference. You can watch it if you like. You'll be blessed if you do. I promise you that as well. So please click like, please hit subscribe. I will see you next time. And I hope you all have a great evening. I know where I'm going to be going and what I'm going to be doing. And believe me, you wish you could join me. I'll talk to you later and see you in the morning. Good night, everybody.